in an industry defined by what we create, it's the people who lead that make good things great. This is Get the Knack, a podcast by the National Academy of Construction, where we connect you with insights from experienced industry leaders to develop your skills and experience and help you achieve your fullest career potential. Welcome to today's episode of Get the Knack. My name is Sue Steele. I'm a member of the National Academy of Construction and was installed in 2021. Uh, Before that, I had about a 30-year career in construction and engineering with several large engineering companies and also worked for JMJ Associates, which uh, gives me a great pleasure to introduce our guest today, Mike Badu. Uh, Mike Gadu joined um, the Academy in 2020. He's a founder of JMJ Associates, and he's the global capital leader for the company. I'll let Mike introduce himself. Uh, Let me just set a little context. Our episode today is a part of a series from Get the Knack on Safety. The first podcast was with Jim Porter on a topic, Owner Contractor Safety Management. Today's podcast will be on having a strong safety culture. The podcast today will start with what it is, and the second will be how to implement a strong safety culture. So with that, I will turn it over to Mike and let him introduce himself and talk a little bit about this amazing topic that we all want to know how to have a strong safety culture. Thanks, Sue. It's great to join you again working uh, in this format, and and I appreciate your introduction like you. I've spent the last 35 years or so working construction, lots of places in the U.S., and then very large construction projects globally. And improving safety performance has been right at the heart of what you and I have been doing professionally for many years and certainly is uh, highest on the list for the National Academy of Construction. The purpose of the Academy is to contribute our expertise. The members contribute their expertise back to the industry. So listeners, thanks for joining us. Uh, uh, Thanks for listening. Thanks for learning. And and we'll get right into safety culture. Um, uh, It may be new to some of our listeners and not new at all. And many people on the listening today may have a lot of experience. And Sue and I will try to make it interesting and engaging for everybody. Let me jump right in, Sue, and, and I'm going to test you a little bit. Here's a safety quiz for you, but this is for fun. This is not for a grade. Here's the question. What's the difference between a hazard and a risk? Because many people in the industry, construction and safety both, they use those words interchangeably. What's the difference, Sue, would you say, between a hazard and a risk? Well, you're going to test my safety knowledge. I'm going to give it a shot since it's not going to be graded. In my view, a hazard is something that can hurt you or cause an accident. Generally, it's a physical thing or an external thing. You know, we think about driving down the road and and having something that's blocking your uh, vehicle or, you know, you come up on your hazard sign, watch, watch for, you know, a twisting road ahead. So a hazard seems to be something that's external. 
And then the risk, I think, uh, I think we get confused about risks. I would say that risk is like a big word that a lot of people define differently. In my view, it would be, it becomes a risk based on your response to the hazard. If it's your judgment and your point of view on what are the chances is this is going to happen to me? And if it does happen to me, what are the consequences? You know, can I get away with it? Or is there going to be something harmful that's going to happen to me? So that that's kind of the way I see it. But Mike, I don't know. You're the expert. <laughs> well, I'm going to give you at least an A, if not an A plus, Sue. I think you nailed it. You know, and I like your example of a road, you know, the, the physical things that could hurt you or hurt your car or hurt somebody else as a result of driving. Um, they're visible. They're real. They're quite, in most cases, apparent on a construction site, you know, dropping things, big vehicles running into each other, or gosh forbid, into people, the chemicals, a confined space. Um, the hazards are external, physical. You can either hear them or see them for the most part. Sometimes there's an inert gas that you can't see or smell or hear, but you nailed the hazard. And the risk part, you also did it. It's like, you know what? It's kind of a busy road out there and I know the hazards, but you know, I could probably get across the street right now. I'll be fine. It's that internal judgment and you, you nailed it. It's that, ah, you know, it's Sunday morning. There's no cars within a quarter mile either direction. I don't need to cross at the light, really. And you and I make those judgments, those quick snap decisions, often unconsciously and certainly without saying it out loud. So they're invisible. And again, you nailed it. What are the chances really it's going to happen? Ah, I must have done this a thousand times and nothing ever went wrong. I'll just reach out over this scaffold just for a moment. It's a little bit outside the boundaries. And I know it's, I've done this a thousand. What's the worst that could happen? That's the consequence part. You know, really, what's the worst that could happen if I cross the street? And, And we say these to ourselves, again, not very aware, rationally, logically at times. Now, if you multiply that times 500 workers, you not only have tremendous hazards in construction, and likely we all know those well, but if you think of those 500 workers and their supervisors all saying, you know what, we got to get this work done today. And I haven't seen a problem around this set of hazards or this situation in years. Guys, get it done. And, And now you're at the visible aspects of safety and the invisible and safety culture. That's the title of this work together here, Sue, is is really getting at the invisible and great safety companies manage and lead both. They're really addressing both proactively and sustainability. So if I had to give you the headline of our two podcasts upcoming how do you go? How do you make the invisible plane apparent and in fact visible? So we're working it hard. That's the culture work. And by the way, we're constantly improving our methods, means, the bow tie, and all that good stuff to reduce the likelihood it won't happen to me and reduce the consequence. That's the mitigation part 
of the visible. So a little bit of a lesson there, Sue, and you nailed it. Um, and it's and again, it's a good setup, I think, for us to get at uh, safety culture. Sounded good, Mike. That was great. Sue, our observation is today, most companies in the U.S. have good systems and good working conditions in place. I don't think you go to too many sites. Now, I know there's mom and pop companies and, and they're small out of the way places, but the construction industry as a whole has improved significantly in performance. They've addressed the visible, the hazards, the workplace conditions, the regulations, the processes, all that stuff has, has improved greatly. Yet safety performance still varies across the United States. That also varies a great deal. And unfortunately, fatal incidents in all industries, but particularly in construction, persist. People are dying at work in construction sites still, Sue. And this is where a positive safety culture comes in. This is where all of the good companies are managing the visible and they're paying attention to how people relate to those hazards. They're paying attention to the cultural side as well. If I can, let me tell a quick story. When I was a teenager, I worked in construction. My first construction job was roofing. And let me tell you, that was a scene. <laughs> but I was a teenager, right? I rode a motorcycle. You know, I worked long hours. I had a lot of fun. You know, I was bulletproof in, in, in terms of my relationship to risks and hazards. And my boss and I was a small company. We worked very hard to get the job done. Um, you know, it was up, up to us. And frankly, we both had lots of scrapes and bumps and scratches. And very candidly, we never talked much about safety. And my boss wasn't mean or indifferent or anything. He, we looked out for each other, kind of like young guys do. But safety wasn't on our list. We just didn't talk about it every day. Then sure enough, one time I was on a ladder and it's a long story, but for here, that ladder tipped, you know, it tipped sideways and I bounced down um, uh, a lot further than I should have. No kidding. The percentages will tell you most people die from an incident like that. And, and I didn't. All I had was a bad cut on my leg and, and I was back at work and so was my boss the next day. And, and even after that, safety didn't rise much to our day-to-day -day conversation. So... We didn't have formal rules. I don't even think we had seatbelts in our trucks back then. I'm showing you how old I am, Sue, with that conversation. But, um, but even if we had them, I don't think we wore them. So the construction hazards were all the same. You know, the drops, the transportation, all of that was the same. The holes on the site, uh, lifting stuff. But we just got on with the work. And that showed not much of a attention or what I'll call a culture to safety. And of course, I think that's changed, including for roofers <laughs> these days. Um, but it's useful, a story, I think, to point out, not, not much conversation about safety. Get the job done was just what you did. That's how it was around there. And that starts to make a simple, in my mind, a simple way to explain safety culture in that historic and thank goodness many years ago time. This making sense, I hope. Yep. That is a great story, Mike. I, I bet there's a lot of people listening to this podcast that have a similar story about how all of a sudden the light clicked on and they weren't even thinking about safety. And now their whole mindset has changed. I'd love to hear more about 
how you transitioned from not thinking about it to being a champion for a strong safety culture. Well, I think everybody, it's a question we often ask in our work, Sue, very pointedly, and it's a good one for, for maybe listeners to think about. When did safety become important to you personally? And, and we ask people to reflect on that, either in one-to-one or small groups or in a workshop setting in our work. And, and I know you've been in those, Sue, and asked that question yourself. And some people say, particularly folks in the construction, you see, boy, I hate to say it, but my cousin, a worker, he did or didn't, or she did or didn't, and this happened, and, and he's gone. That person is gone. And that, for the person who answers that question, that was the moment when safety became not just something you're supposed to do, not just rules, regulations, and something the safety guy was chasing. Another manager will say, you know, when I had to go to knock on the front door of a young wife and tell her, your husband's not coming home. For somebody else, it's, it's a mom or a dad who their child is born in that magical moment uh, when they realize, you know, they're in a whole new way responsible for life that they'll say, you know what, I, I didn't ride a motorcycle much after I had kids <laughs> kind of a conversation. And so it doesn't have to be a horrible experience, Seward, that changes. And, and certainly listeners can relate to, and in fact, I encourage them to reflect just for a moment on when did safety become important to me? Yeah, I, I think just um, for me personally, um, it was when it shifted from being a rules-based uh, activity to being a personal value that I owned and uh, recognized that I, I was accountable for the safety of myself and my fellow team members and that, um, that really it was about going home the same way you came to work. And that was more important than anything else. And that superseded any rules-based, you know, uh, I would say system that we had. Um, so making it personal uh, was really important to me. That's when my mind shifted. Wonderful. And thanks for adding that reflection. Exactly. The, the tone of an authentic, sincere conversation among people that then you can build on and build that in a team and build that in your site and build that in a company. And so if I can kind of add to your thought, you know, when you use the word value, when you say, what is a safety culture then really? It's when a family, <laughs> a team, a site, a company, they say, you know what, safety isn't just a priority we're going to manage like other priorities, cost productivity, getting the job done on time. And, and of course, those are critically important priorities. We won't have a business. If you ain't building, you're not in construction. You got to get her done. No one's ignoring that. But a, a key element of safety is safety is a value. It's like a precondition, like gravity on which we can then address the priorities. Culture, Sue, is, is kind of like, and I've said this, it's the way we do things around here. It's the unspoken, usually, and thus invisible, unheard, values and priorities. What people see to be important. The, the elements that shape how we act on a site or in a company 
you know, again, an, an, an old timer's view. You know, back in my day, Sue, I won't say yours or I'll embarrass both of us. But back in, in my day, the high tech companies like IBM or Xerox, they were button up, die and jacket, very formal, separate offices, lots of hierarchy. Certainly they worked very hard. But compare that kind of a work environment or work culture to today's high tech companies, loose teams, bring your dog to work, uh, pizza parties, work all night, program. And both cultures have their strengths. Both have weaknesses, as we know, especially today. But that starts to get at what is culture. And then you can get at what is a safety culture, you know. Again, reflecting on that, my teenage job in construction, my boss and I had a just get it done culture. Don't do anything stupid was probably the main guide and rule, um, along with, you know, we got a job. We got to start somewhere else on Monday. So we didn't talk much about values and so on. We, we never talked about that kind of level. Then you jumped on it, I think, very well. Strong safety cultures where the rules and regulations of course, the PPE, the equipment, the working conditions, the visible stuff, they're matched by invisible values, personal attitude and commitments, and then organizational care, organizational values, commitments, mandates, and thus the rules that follow. They're matched for a, a truly safe workplace. Good. You know, so so drilling down a little bit on some examples of demonstrated safety culture or where you see it acted out or behaved in the workplace. Give us a few examples uh, from your experience about where you can tell that you have that strong safety. You know, what are the markers for a strong safety culture? Thanks for that. That's great. Hey, here's the first one. A positive, strong, proactive safety culture is is one where you can see and hear line managers talk about safety. And I said line managers, not just the safety guy or safety gal, and not just the developer or the owner. My manager, supervisor, foreman, superintendent, site manager, subcontractor, line manager, talks about it. He or she says it's important and means it. A positive safety culture, you'll see each and every day, and, and by the way, each major task, it's talked about before we begin, and not just how long it's going to take, but we talk about, hey, what could hurt one or more of us? What are the means we have in place to prevent it? You ask the question, hey, who's done this before and seen something gone wrong? Do we have the right tools for this stuff? Have we got enough room? Hey, by the way, are we supposed to have a permit for this thing? And, and you ask and answer those questions today. And it isn't just one person ticking the box on some little black and white form that's required by the insurance company and send in case something goes wrong. That's a tick the box culture, Sue, we'd say in different places, not a strong safety culture. A positive safety culture, when you're out on the site, you can see the workers speak up. You can see them ask questions. Hey, hey, wait a minute. Is this the right saw for this? You know, I, I got a chop saw. And, and you'll see them ask questions. You'll see them, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll toss a pair of gloves to each other and say, hey, use this. That ain't going to help. It's okay not to know the answer. 
it's okay to say, hey, wait a minute, hold on. Even if that guy you're saying who might be backing up into something doesn't work in my crew, doesn't even work for my company. And these days, money might not even speak the same language. Exactly. Well, one one thing that resonates with me, Mike, about what you're discussing is the ownership at really the, the leadership, the foreman and the frontline workers for their safety. And, and they know better than anybody else what can hurt them. Going back to the question you asked me at the beginning of the podcast, you know, what's the difference between a hazard and a risk? Uh, the folks, uh, frankly, uh, in the team who are closest to the work, they know where the hazards are. And then the way they respond to it, those invisible factors you mentioned, really determines whether it becomes a risk or not. So uh, I would say the project manager, the division manager, anyone in the chain of command needs to listen to what they are saying about what can hurt them, as opposed to have it be pushed from the top down. And I think that inverse communication or that communication cycle that occurs with the front line, like you've described, uh, is really a differentiator. And again, you're right on. It's, it's the line managers, I'm using that term. It's the guy who pays me. It's the guy who gives me my work assignments. It's the guy who's going to give me that extra couple bucks an hour or move me up in the organization. The safety guy or gal pretty much doesn't do that. And so you're right on with one, leaders need to start this. And we're going to get into this in our next podcast and it, 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 about how do you do this and what's the role of a manager, a supervisor, and so on. And by the way, what's the role of the HSE person? They have a big role to play. And then the second thing you said, you know, you could tell a strong safety culture when it's bottom up driven. And part of that is they can admit when they don't know what to do. Or they can admit when they make a mistake, they know they won't be blamed. When it's okay for a new guy to say, hey, you know, I, I, I'm a little nervous. And, and for new guys, because I've been one, I remember, you didn't want to do that. You didn't want to admit, you know, you wanted to look good. So when a company knows that and talks about it and, and how you set that up, those are all signs of a good, strong safety culture. Great, great. Well, this this has been an exciting podcast for me. Brings back a lot of memories of of transitioning from <laughs> making safety personal uh, after I I thought it was all about rules and compliance for so many years of my career. So I appreciate what you've shared, Mike. I think one of the takeaways I have from this session is that it's not an either or that we have the the guidelines or the rules like life-changing rules or the ability to stop work or authority or whatever it might be that we've put in place to reduce the risk of these hazards but it's it's how we go about you know engaging with our workforce engaging with uh, our teams making them own own the safety of themselves and their fellow workers and that that's really critical to having a strong safety culture so thanks for reminding us about that. Yeah, and, and again, you know, we we it's just a a podcast, so we haven't really gotten into how you do it, and we'll do more of that, uh, you know, shortly, Sue. And I'm looking forward to that part of the conversation. I just want to say, kind of, when you really know that you've got a strong safety culture, you can see people work safely because they want to, not just because they have to. 
And when you see people working that way, boy, now you've got it. Now you've got the knack. <laughs> That's a great way to close. Mike, thank you so much. Uh, let me just uh, summarize by saying that we've been uh, listening to Mike Gadu, who's the founder and head of capital projects for JMJ Associates, which is a global management consulting firm specializing in cultural transformation. Um, I wanted to just reiterate that this is a part of a series of podcasts that uh, Get the Knack, uh, the National Academy of Construction is having on safety. And this is the first of two on creating and establishing a strong safety culture. So I'm excited to have Mike back in just a little bit to continue on talking about this topic. And uh, as he said, you know, strong safety culture is not about compliance. It's about caring and it's very people driven and uh, it's very almost counterintuitive to what we in the engineering and construction industry would think are the keys to success. But as Mike has pointed out, um, you know, this is not easily done, but we'll find out more about how to do that at our next podcast. For the audience, thank you for tuning in for this episode of Get the Knack. Please provide feedback on this session at getthenack at naocon.org. And let us know any other topics you would like us to feature. And to get more information about our industry and the National Academy of Construction, you can find out at naocon.org forward slash insights. Get the Knack will be back with more content soon. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Get the Knack. Because the construction industry needs people like you, leaders and innovators, to build our future.